Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fam, Friends, and Magic, a Magic the Gathering podcast brought to you by Swagoy Gaming. My name is Bill Grennan. Everyone calls me Brasky, and today I am joined, as always, by Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins, Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher, but we are not joined by the Mighty Linguini, Caroline Cavanaugh. She's taking the week off, but instead we are joined once again by the one and only Hi-You-You, you, a.k.a. Nefet. What's up, fam? That's where you say hi, Hi-You, by the way. Oh, hi. <laughs> Listen here. I said, I said, what's up, fam? And then everyone yeah, just stood I, around here. Well, someone to, needs to take the, the lead on this thing. was, what's up, fam? I yeah, alone. Well, here, here's the problem, right? So normally it goes, you know, we're joined by the mighty Linguini and then myself and then, and then Mr. Toolshed, right? And then Caroline goes, hi. And then I say hi. And then Sean says hi. So without Caroline here, we're just all lost. Are you, I was going to say, yeah. are you because, that? Because Brasky said, Eric first, so I was—I I thought Eric was going to go first. It's too much pressure. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Stage fright. Did you see that I uh, edited the intro, Bill? You missed—you skipped over it. Okay, <laughs> that made me laugh. I was trying so hard not to crack. Listen, listen. I appreciate you trying to put this on expert mode right away with a guest on the podcast, and you're already trying to throw me off my game. But it, it appears you spent so much time trying to mess with my show notes and script that you forgot to say words when I introduced you. So <laughs> you got me. Man. I wrecked. This is this is what happens. This is what happens when Caroline takes a week off. All right, like you could already see it went off the rails. Not not more than ten seconds in. Yeah, Caroline never never gets us off the rails ever. Anymore. Yeah, ever. A bunch of amateurs in here. Well, if Caroline gets us off the rails, she's really good at bringing us back onto the rails. You see right here, I just introduced the three of you, and it was like, hey, here it's it's like trying to play fetch with a cat. You throw the thing, you want the cat to chase after it, and all it does is turn back, look at you, and go, really? That's and that's, that's what that was. That's what this introduction was. I, sorry, I have, a, I have a story about a cat playing cat. fetch. Oh. <laughs> And now everyone wants to talk, Brassy. What are you doing? <laughs> I have sufficiently scolded all three of you. So now you're both yeah. trying to be very nice to the other person while speaking over the top of the other person. We're off to a great start, everybody. Yeah. Meow. Ayu, you can go first. Meow. <laughs> Especially, we're off to a great start considering what our topic for the week is going to be. The fact that we might be touching on something that involves, I don't know, uh, deliberately speaking for other people's enjoyment. But... That's neither here nor there. Before we get to that topic, we certainly have to talk about how our week in magic was. And, you know, whether it be cats playing fetch, we can talk about playing magic. Perhaps we need to design a card called cats playing fetch. That could go in an unset. I'm looking forward to what that kind of sorcery would be. But before we do that, I need to know how everyone's week in magic was. Conan Hawk, let's start with you. Uh, last, the, like basically kind of last week into this week, uh, last week I was pretty sick of playing, uh, playing, well, historic. It was a lot of Field of the Dead mirrors and whenever you would not play Field of the Dead, you'd play against Field of the Dead and they would beat you with, you know, Field of the Dead. So, um, kind of like took an early end of my week from last week's, uh, streaming and then picked it up on Monday and lo and behold on Monday... The Field of Dead was gone. There was a few things that I thought might go with it, but they didn't seem to go with it. It was just Field of the Dead was was uh, moved away. But at least I know what's legal for the Mythic Invitational, and it's been kind of fun trying to figure out what's good again. It like I don't know. I, I'm I guess I'm like excited for that. So like at least I had I know what the I know what the pool of cards that I can register uh, by the Mythic Invitational will be, and I will be grateful for that at least. You could say Field of the Dead is now Field of the Dead. 
Yes, Brad, you can. Got him. (laughs) I've been been sitting on that for days. Uh, No one warned me about the high level of uh, punnery that would be going on on this podcast. You're welcome. I've I felt I feel so creative. No one promised you any any great humor. Sorry, (laughs) man. That's that's a deep cut right there. But yeah. not as not as deep as the level of gameplay that we see from Mr. Toolshed Sean Gallagher. How was your week in Magic, my friend? That's me. Um, my week pretty good actually. I uh, did a lot of laddering. I have been Mythic for a little bit now, but I've been kind of high thousand or low thousands between like floating around between like twelve hundred and eight hundred. But finally made a run for it. I'm at sitting at one fifty five as we record this, which is super awesome. And I got to be like the SpongeBob meme on Monday, you know, where he like opens up the spatula case and it's like, it says Old Faithful on it. Inside of that was just my five mana Teferi. So I got to unleash my five mana Teferi on the world on Monday. And I'm feeling pretty happy about that. How, when, Sean, when does the, when does the season end? Five days. So I only have to wait five more days and I'm going to be watching the ladder. So you think you'll, you think you'll decay below 1200? Do you think you're good? Uh, I, I, I keep asking and I keep hearing, I don't know, it's close or you should play every day, but I'm just going to wait until the last day and then like really pray, I think, but we'll see. Gotcha. Hey, Sean, I have a question for you. Yeah. Did uh, the Field of the Dead bannings cultivate any feelings for you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to censor myself on that one. So. Are you approaching finding the right deck list? <laughs> I'm going to ravel some time so we don't have to worry about that. Um, (laughs) Since I haven't played much ladder recently, I have pioneered our foray into the brawl format, and I've somehow looped in Hayu, Nick, and another teammate of ours, Max, and even Eric a little bit into our brawl format. Little gang and Brassy's been jumping in too, and we've been actually brawling a little bit recently. It's been a lot of fun over the last couple days. What'd you say, Hayu? Yeah, I've absolutely been loving it. Um, Historic Brawl, just one of the most fun formats I think anyone can play. You can do some really crazy things. We've had stacks of several hundred triggers, I'm sure. (laughs) At one point, Eric made me draw a thousand cards. (laughs) That was upsetting. (laughs) I I did not have a thousand cards in my deck. Yeah, you still have to draw like right around 900-ish. Yeah. yeah, I think I haven't drawn a thousand cards since then in Magic. Yeah. I, I forgot to tell you in my deck tech of, of what to do when you're against Eric is put, put a thousand cards in your deck. That's the, that's the, oh. that's the baseline. Yeah. Gotcha. At one point, we were all watching. We all were watching how you just get bodied by Eric playing this Just Guy comedy. And it was just at a point where Arena didn't know what was going on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Eric has, what is the seven minutes called? Brass's Bounty. Yeah. Oh, you make treasure for each spell for each landing troll, but he had thousand year storm in play, so he's making like 14 treasures for every spell he's cast. And he had cast like probably eight spells by then. And then he like mission briefing it back, and like the game had like 600 tokens to play, but I just couldn't comprehend what was going on. See, I see that as <laughs> being that's like the equivalent of like if you were playing tabletop and someone plays a card, and you're like, wait, what's that? And you pick up the card and look at it. Magic the Gathering Arena was doing that to Eric's card. Like, <laughs> he, he played it, but then when it like pops up in the interface, that wasn't for you to see. That was Arena going, wait, what? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> the, thousand, the, the worst part is the Thousand Year Storm, like no one uses it, so, so it doesn't have any like, helpful text on it or anything. <laughs> yeah. It has no storm me, counts. You can't yeah. tell me <laughs> 
uh, spells we've cast. We don't know how many triggers it's had, so it just like sits on the yeah. field because no one ever uses it. Yeah, that there was, was like a point where we were trying to cast like the make a treasure draw some cards, and we we're like, "Will I deck? <laughs> I have no clue how many spells I've played. I don't know how many cards I've drawn." <laughs> hey, oh, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say that at one point. Uh, yeah, at one point there were ten copies or eleven copies of Expansion Explosion for X equals two hundred and twenty-one on the stack. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> All right, so so does that mean that we kind of have to do some science here, Eric? Like, do I do do I need to put as many cards into a deck as possible and somehow build a loop that gives me infinite life game just to see what happens here? Ooh, that'd be nice. I played against somebody today in Historic that had infinite life gain, but it was also infinite drain. Um, I got pretty lucky though; I killed their Davido. But Vito plus Exquisite Blood plus any Life Link or like Life Drain kills your opponent, and. Mm -hmm. Like I was like I was like oh I think this is this is this might happen and then it didn't but I was I was uh, I, I kind of wish I didn't kill the veto because that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> they play like the one mana one one life linking vampire. So they what about can they play the one one cat? That card's adorable. Cauldron familiar? No 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 the life no. linking cat. The involved <laughs> one. Yeah. I knew exactly which one one cat. The good the well, good cat, not that other cat. It's it's funny because we were talking about I said cat. How you instantly thinks the draft playable. Eric thinks the constructed playable cat. So. Well, me and Cauldron Familiar go way back. <laughs> I fed wow. that cat a lot. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's why it's bad now. Yeah, that's why, that's why the cat's no longer around. You overfed it. Right. It's like that. It, it, you watch the, that Disney movie? Uh, you're gonna Wreck have to Ralph? be more specific. Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah, yeah Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph, the second one, right? They, like, they, they, you can press the button and it feeds the rabbit. Or yeah. Whatever. Well, it's we can, as you said, Sean, we kind of see between who the constructed player is, who the limited player is in that conversation. And speaking of which, yeah. how was your week in Magic? It was great. I've been having a great time drafting Amoncat Remastered. Uh, it's one of the best sets that's come out on Arena for a while, I think, especially as I wasn't the biggest fan of the core set. Um, and I just you know, everyone's been drafting Boris Agro, which is definitely the best deck, but this week I had seven wins with possibly one of the coolest decks in the format, I think, um, which is base green four color, <laughs> where I had in the same deck, Cartouche of Zeal, Trial of Zeal, also Sphinx's Revelation, <laughs> Ominous Sphinx, uh, Sifter Worms, <laughs> Striped Riverwinder, Desert Ceridon, <laughs> uh, Perilous Vault, <laughs> I just and the core of the deck was four copies of Oasis Ritualist, and it was absolutely insane. And it just stopped seven wins with it, and it was great. That that is some spice. That is some yeah. spice if I've ever seen it. This is this is a limited format that like that's that's kind of what I plan on doing this week a little bit is jumping into the limited of Amonkhet. So if you if you give the rundown as you said, red white's the best deck. What else is like? What's your quick 30, 30 second, sixty second rundown of how to draft Amonkhet? Uh, drop two drops. If there's anything that you, there's one piece of advice is you need to get two drops, especially if you're in the aggro decks. But even if you're not in an aggro deck, you need roughly five to six two drops. And if you're in an aggro deck, you need eight. Like eight is the minimum, probably for a good aggro deck. You need a lot of good two drops because the two drops are nuts, and you need to take them. Exert is crazy. The trials, the trials and cartouches are crazy. So you need to try and like do broken things with your with your two drops. So it's so it's a slow format. Is what you're saying? 
glacial wow. slow. It's glacial. It's glacial slow. It's the slowest two drops we've ever played. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I got to you know as as Sean alluded to earlier, I jumped in with some of the brawl folks. Although I I've been playing brawl since way back in the day, so you know I was gatekeeping early on and just saying, well, are you, you young whippersnappers playing my format? And then Sean comes out and has all these sweet brews and just wipes the floor with me. And I'm like, all right, fine. You can stay. That's kind of, that's what I did. Uh, and enjoyed just playing a whole lot of brawl. And at some point I was like, I can get some cards for historic, have the budget to get some historic cards, like get some Amonkhet remastered and build something. But then of course the field of the dead ban happened and so i basically i have some cards and i have some wild cards but i'm just kind of waiting and seeing like what what falls you know in the meadow what kind of shakes out there now that field of the dead is long gone and i'm hoping that the answer is esper control probably not but it could it, it could it could stick it could stick out there but i'm enjoying just kind of hanging around seeing what everybody else is going to play so that i can kind of make the smart decision instead of crafting a bunch of decks right after a band that are mostly mm, timmy decks which well let's be honest i'm going to make the timmy decks anyway so <laughs> there's a nice esper yorian list mm. But, uh, I color as me far intrigued. as Esper control, I think uh, if you cut black, it might be better. Nah, no, I need, I need, I need. <laughs> I need if you cut black from Esper, what does that, what does that leave you with? Blacklist Esper. That's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you playing? Are you playing? Are you playing right, Esper? Yeah, are yeah. you playing Azorius control? No, I'm playing Blacklist Esper. Yeah, not quite Jund. <laughs> Except when you when you play that deck. The theme song behind you has to be an edited version of Careless Whisper called Blackless Esper. So it's like uh, the saxophone comes in and all of that stuff. That's what it's going to be. Little Kenny G. Little, Ken little Kenny G, a little bit of sax. I like that. I know we're not really going to touch on it for, for our main topic, but we did kind of touch on it briefly. But yeah, Field of the Dead, it is gone. Uh, and we, I, I think that was the most uh, expected thing was to see Field of the Dead leave. Some other people were kind of talking about maybe Bolas' Citadel could get the axe or maybe... Uh, something else maybe could be get unbanned from there, but uh, how does how does historic feel now that Field of the Dead is gone? It's kind of weird. <clears throat> so Eric and I we spent a lot of time working on the Field of the Dead deck. Um, him and I both played it a ton, and then we were like, this deck's way too good. You know, it's like busted. Everyone knew it, right? Played Magic the last couple of days. Not really much has changed too much. There's more to Fairy decks, but like other than that, from what I've been watching, it's just still a lot of Jun Citadel. It's still a lot of like. People playing what they want. Like, I don't know, format hasn't really changed too much. I mean, people are playing less gem palm polluters in their sideboard. <laughs> but, You're not constantly doing math. Okay, if I make this many zombies, then Massacre Worm will kill me. <laughs> so I gotta, like, put in two more lands so that I could kill them as fast. But, like, you know, yeah. it's just like... I don't have to worry about Massacre where I'm being cast out of aggro decks anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's cool, but like, other than that, I mean, the format's like probably health. It's better for, you know, the sake of the format, but I mean, people are still just doing what they want, I think, for the most part, in my experience. Yeah. I, I, I kind of touched it on earlier, but uh, I was like, I put uh, Brandon, Brandon was going to do this thing where he was going to post on Twitter, like, what do you think's going to happen? And then he was like, what options are there? And at the time, I was writing notes uh, to myself about what could possibly happen. And uh, I think Hayu tweeted out my notes <laughs> to, to, the, to Twitter. Honestly, uh, I thought I was having a stroke. It was, <laughs> it was like 20 lines of varying combinations of Ban Field of the Dead, Unban, uh, what was it, Burning Tree, Burning Tree Emissary, Ban Muxus, Don't Ban Field of the Dead, Ban 
burning tree. And it was honestly, it was the same few sentences, but over and over again, it was a lot. Yeah. Like basically what I was trying to do is like think of all the possible iterations of what I thought the bands could possibly be. And then with each iteration, try to figure out what decks would be best in those, in those bands. And uh, I guess I like way overthought it because I just ended up banning Field of the Dead. Um, but it was just like that, that was, that was like how the reason that I was kind of like, I was a little surprised when they only said field of the dead, which I think in the end might just be better, but it does, it does kind of feel like the outside of the blue white, which is kind of surprising that it's like, it's doing so well currently, like as we sit here now, it, it does feel like you're trying to do these like one card combos, like Citadel or Muxus or something like that is like somewhere where you should maybe be. Um, or maybe even like auras would just like do one really powerful thing because the format has a ton of power, but maybe it's because of sideboard cards, something like Graft Digger's Cage kind of shuts down the whole Citadel Coco thing. I love I that. Know. I love that the, uh, the part of that was Sean, Sean discussing the meta, but he, you spoke with such disdain on the phrase, oh yeah, I guess people are going to play what they want. Like, how dare they? Well, that's <laughs> why you play counterspells, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can play what you want. As long as it goes to the graveyard after I cast, you know, neutralize or whatever it is. As long as it doesn't kill me, you can play whatever you want. Spoken, right. spoken like a true blue-white player. You sit down going, wait, what are you playing? How dare hmm. you play what you want? <laughs> hmm. Let me read that. Hmm. Still zero mana open? Sensor. Um, <laughs> put it with your card. <laughs> what else? What else are you playing? Nice in the hmm. graveyard. Pact of it's negation, like, sit down. Have you ever played the game Papers, Please? Where you, like, oh, yeah. Chat? Like, that's how I feel playing Control. I'm like, that someone approaches the window with a, a you know, um, a bonus system, and I'm like, stamp, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and the next one, the Mayhem Devil, stamp, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Although it feels like the Yes, like... you may have Gilded Goose. Yes. Although it, yeah. it feels like <laughs> the mm, Okay, you're, you're, you're in. <laughs> Although, if we were playing in the same spot of where, like, if Papers, Please was set on a plane or set with some sort of color combination, uh, Orzhov just kind of seems seems the most likely for a Papers, Please situation. Just a lot of death and taxes all over the place. That is their job. That's true. And it's our job to continue on with this podcast by also letting folks know what is coming up this week in the world of Magic the Gathering and their events and other news that's going around. And for that, we're going to have Mr. Toolshed give us the rundown. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm here with the news. Um, thanks for passing it over to me, Brasky. Uh, so this weekend we have uh, some pretty awesome things going on, actually, with Swagoy members included, actually. Uh, so on the 29th, which is Saturday, we have the CFB Pro Showdown where we have Hi-You. Woo! Hi-You! It's me! Yeah! Uh, Nessa Meow Meow, Reed Duke, and Andrea Mangucci, who will be covering that, which is super awesome. That's Saturday morning. Um, then on Sunday, we have the Mythic Society Arena Community Cup, um, who Hayu will also be covering. Um, you can check that out on twitch.tv slash the Mythic Society. I will be casting that as well. Are you casting it? Indeed. Oh, wow, Brasky. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Um, and then on over the weekend, we also have the Mana Traders Championship, which I believe this weekend is Legacy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So... Yeah, a lot of cool things going on. Come hang out on Saturday on CFB's Twitch with Hayu, and then on Sunday with Brasky and Hayu on the Mythic Society's Twitch page. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a good time. I'm psyched for it. It's been a, it's been a long while since I've been in front of the mic 
for some magic for some magic coverage. So it's going to be I'm usually behind in running production and stuff, but then my computer decided to no longer work for me. So I get to go and jump back in on the front side of the camera as opposed to the back side of the camera. So I'm looking forward to it, especially now that I know that Hayu is also going to be casting in that as well. It's going to be what we saw, what we call hype. I thought you were going to say lit, but hype works too. You know, can, oh, I thought you were going to say sick. <laughs> it can be. It can be. You know, I thought you were going to say swell. It's it's slight. It's slight. <laughs> sick lit. It's sick lit and hype. It's slight. That's what it is. Oh, you know, close. It's better with an S. I'm really, I'm really sad that you don't have any professional experience in front of a microphone. So it's going to be real tough for you this weekend, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, yeah. It's it's gonna. They're gonna. Cold and cold. They're gonna throw it to me. The the producer's gonna say go Brasky, and I'm gonna go. Uh, Who's Brasky? Uh, <laughs> You, well, well, um, this, you, um, uh, I'm uh, Nefet, yeah, where's, I, someone tell me what to say. Where's oh my goodness. Brasky, you're on the team. My name is Bill Grin and everyone calls me Brasky. I just say that over and over again. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just keep repeating that every time the camera goes back to me. Cause that's all I have. That's <laughs> You'll, yeah. be, you'll be like a Pokemon, yep. <laughs> just only able to say exactly. I'm a broadcast Pokemon. That's who, that's a great someone. Okay, broadcast Pokemon. That's my new Discord nickname. <laughs> How you goes through like this huge, long-winded thing? Goes over to Brasky. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it my point just to answer nonsensically to any question that she might have. Like Brasky, how many cards does uh, this player have in hand right now? Okay. <laughs> point, how, you how, many, how many how many uh how much damage do they have on board <laughs> you bet <laughs> that's, that's all that's good i'm gonna be the best broadcast partner for this all i can picture is i can't remember the actor's name oh jason bateman jason bateman from dodgeball what <laughs> just goes over <laughs> that's how he was like the super serious caster and then it's just like Brasky's like sitting with his legs crossed in the other chair, shirt ripped open. <laughs> she's she's giving intense analysis, and I'm just like in the background, just being like, "Death and taxes cost him money. We're gonna be throwing bills, yo!" <laughs> if you can bring a cash cannon, though, I'll I'll allow it. Oh, nice. Okay, I'll work it. I'll see if we have that in the budget. I'm gonna like that down and call it good. Also, Sean, I appreciate how uh, your pronunciation of the folks doing the uh, CFP Pro Showdown. I don't think I've ever heard someone pronounce Nessa, Nessa Meow Meow like with full syllabic pronunciation. You were like, Nessa Meow Meow. And I was like, <laughs> yes. That was that was like very, like that, as if she was being called to like the DMV or something. Like, Nessa Meow Meow. Like, yes, very good. Um. That's the that's the cool parts though. That's that's just a just just a little touch of some of the lighthearted parts that we have sometimes when we are broadcasting and on coverage for some of the events that we do here at Swigoy. And you know, it's it's one of the things that uh, we have certainly done a lot more of as the times have changed from the beginning of the year to where we are now, where there's just a lot more digital magic being played and there's a lot more opportunities to do coverage for certain events. So we've been able to uh, do a bunch of that coverage. And Hayu in particular has been doing probably the most of anybody else on Swagoy in terms of, you know, being in front of the camera and doing awesome coverage events for different places and different organizations. And that's kind of what we wanted to touch on this week is to kind of have uh, Hayu guest on the show and touch a little bit on the ins and outs of broadcasting Magic the Gathering, especially uh, as we have seen 
how uh, the competitive world has shifted to the world of Magic Arena for uh, the most wow. part. And so, Hayu, why don't you give us kind of a, a, the quick rundown of, you know, what we're talking about when, when we're talking about the world of doing coverage for Magic the Gathering. Yeah, so I think what you say about moving into the online world is very important. We're seeing a change in magic how magic tournaments are run how magic tournaments are covered how who can play in them and all of these things are changing obviously because of the situation that we're in globally but it's actually created a lot of new opportunities so a lot of the events that used to be local events may be hosted by a store or maybe you know, a tournament series like the star city games tour which used to go to all these different east coast cities now anyone can play in them anyone from anywhere in the world can play in them and that's uh, super cool and the fact that everyone is playing on a computer client has really changed the game for magic broadcast because the way that game footage is captured by the production team the way that um, all of these tournaments are organized the way that everyone communicates you know usually through discord or mtg melee or these um, tournament organizing sites uh, has really, you know, brought a, a flourishing of new tournaments and opportunities for casters such as us. And I've definitely been trying to get on top of as many opportunities as I can. But the basics of magic casting haven't really changed since the beginning. You still have, generally you have two casters on a team. You'll have your play-by-play -play caster, which is the role that I tend to do more of. The play-by-play -play caster is, you know, the host of the show. They're there to make sure the viewer is informed about what's going on. They direct the conversation of the other casters. They build that narrative during the broadcast that keeps the audience hooked. And they're also the person that has to make sure that everything stays on track, that, you know, the transition between the different pieces of content is smooth, has to know about the timing, etc, etc. And generally, they're also in charge of promoting the organization or the sponsors. And then usually when paired with your play by play caster, you have um, an expert caster, or sometimes called a color commentator, and they're there to provide the kind of next level analysis. So generally, there'll be someone that's more experienced in magic, more of a, maybe a pro or more of a grinder, and they will not have to think about some of the more the practical parts of the coverage but they're there to provide conversation analysis insight and to give the viewers that next level of expertise beyond just what's going on in the game so magic casting has been that since since its inception basically i think that what I really want to talk about today is that in this day and age, and especially with everything moving online to a much faster client um, arena, which is generally, you know, the gameplay is a lot quicker than in paper and coverage therefore has to adapt. I think now is a really great opportunity for magic casting to get to the next level. And by that, I mean, if you compare magic casting with casting in other esports, it's very different. Magic casting, tends to be quite slow, quite deliberate. Um, there's a lot of gaps, there's a lot of dead space, which is fine. But if you watch, um, for example, League of Legends or first-person shooter games or fighting games, the, the casting is incredibly out there. Like, they're very, very focused on generating hype. They're, like, very, very fast-paced. Um, they keep up with the action, but they really bring you, like, the highlights. And they're very good at hitting or the energetic spots. And I think that's something that magic casting is still kind of 
a little bit behind the times. Uh, we're used to the gentle kind of dulcet tones of, you know, of Marshall or um, other casters that we've been used to hearing a lot for a long time. And they kind of give you what's going on and then their expert will give you all this really cool insight. But we, I really think now is the time to push magic casting into the 21st century and into start to the place where we're generating excitement where we're using the tone of voice more where we're where we're less focused necessarily on these long personal anecdotes or stories about a gp that happened in 2005 but <laughs> more focus on the players bringing out the narratives bringing out how players have developed how they've gotten there and really putting the focus back on the game and on the amount of excitement that magic can generate and that's i think what's going to make magic as an esport, become more elevated. I think it's really interesting what you talk about. With there's things that I, I absolutely agree with you with, and there's other things I go, huh, that's an interesting perspective. And I think the one is is getting the esports or, or taking you know magic coverage and sort of energizing it a bit, or, or making it. It seems you know I'll call it more active in that way that mm. you're really engaging with the what's happening on the board state what the players are attempting to do whether or not they accomplished what they were attempting to accomplish and i, I do think at the same time do it seems to me that there's also much like you know if you compare it to regular sports right there's different types of commentary for different types of sports you don't want to be a football commentator doing baseball that just doesn't work that way and the same thing for like tennis or golf or that kind of spot i do see that depending on the game that you're playing there is a different energy to esports but that's not to say that it can't be an active energy i do see card games like magic the gathering or even hearthstone uh, two things that i have experience in casting in i see both of those as something that has a that has a different tone and a different energy from something like a league of legends or an overwatch but it doesn't mean that it's it's laid back it doesn't mean that it's sit back and and just um indulgent in and of itself it still needs to be an active commentary that anyone who's watching will be engaged with right i i do agree with you for sure in that different esports definitely require different levels of casting and even though arena is a little bit more fast-paced than paper magic there are still you know it's still a little bit more you know you have the turn passing from player to player people take time thinking you do have more of these gaps where you can be a little bit more i mean academic isn't the right word but you know a little bit more discursive about um how you're how you're going about it i think um active is the right word and i'm really glad you chose that to use that word because i think a lot of the time magic casting can fall into this pattern of just being reactive where the casters are kind of just seeing what's happening and then saying oh this is what happened and this is why they did that but some of the best casters and i think going forward what i really mean by you know putting more hype and more energy is that you the casters should be actively trying to think about what's happening in the next turn and the two turns after that and generating anticipation for those moments before they happen. And that's kind of part of what I mean by energizing because you want to sweep the audience with you on that wave of anticipation. And I think that's something that, you know, it doesn't happen as much as it could do. And I think also you, you also... As much as you want to inject energy into it, your audience is also going to recognize if you're if you are uh, 
artificially injecting energy into something. You know, your audience is going to detect whether or not something was actually uh, a really important move or whether or not you're just trying to make something seem like a big deal. Although I do, I, I always want to do like a somewhat spoof, like do a magic, do magic coverage, but we're readily recognizing that the event maybe is like, uh, a more laid back goofy event. So then I could do like my best version of League of Legends casting with Magic the Gathering <laughs> card games. Like sit there and be like, and there's Tool Shed. He's got the second son. It's the approach of the second son. Oh, he throws it down on the thing. The player blows up and just do that type of, of commentary, which would just absolutely not totally fit with uh, with Magic the Gathering coverage at the same time. But there is there is that delicate there is that balance you can strike between genuine energy for what's happening out there while also not being too laid back and also not being fake with the with the energy that goes alongside of it. So yeah. I, there was a there was a experience that actually kind of had that, right? And I, I think it kind of it, like it kind of speaks to I guess like how how we could actually do this. Like it, it's uh, the what was that? It was the lightning helix that was peeled off the top. Mm, the, yeah. like the lightning helix heard around the world. Well, heard around the magic world. Helix. Yeah, yes. and it was Randy Bueller, right? That was announcing it, and he was just like, like they needed a lightning helix to like win. I think it was nationals or worlds or something, and it was just or it was worlds, right? And then it was just like peels lightning helix, and he's like, oh my god, it's lightning helix, and it's like I I also think of like the best of SEGs. When they do that, they like Cedric gets really, really hyped when when something really big happens. The one thing I do wonder about, though, is like if we do get into this mode where you like we're doing arena, right? So like I can yell as well. I can't right now because I'm in a house, right? But I can yell as loud as I want in on the cast, and no one can hear me. Like what what does that actually mean for when we get into back into like the the paper magic, right? Because I, I, the one thing I do remember was uh, the mythic or the mythic championship that I played in. I was sitting right, really close to the to the draft, right, and then mm. I kept hearing Paul Cheon, like talking about the draft. And afterwards, like like a little bit into the draft, I think the players actually said, "I can hear Cheon talking about the cards we're drafting." And so, like, <laughs> and it was like. Oh, well, it's, and it's, like, not his fault, right? He's supposed to be talking. He's supposed to be excited. He's supposed to be, you know, talking about this stuff. But they were just, like, there's parts where they're, like, we can hear him talking about the pack that they're looking at. I'll chuck, I'll chuck that up <laughs> to more of an issue with production. Yeah. Uh, the producers being like, oh, we got to make sure that if we, that the broadcast team can't be heard by players as they're actively drafting or playing <laughs> a match. Because that's kind of, that can definitely be an issue. But I think you, you touch on a good point there, Conan Hawk, of the, the idea of what, I, I, you know, what we're talking about now with playing something that's like Magic the Gathering Arena, something that's a lot really accessible because it is a digital client, and how the energy, how things shift as we do come back to tabletop. And I, I think that there is there is a lot to learn and there's a lot to take from the great coverage of the past of Magic the Gathering. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's one of the original like coverage esports. Like when I think of like when you if you look back, it's like what can I find YouTube videos of of <laughs> video games and way back? It's like fighting games, StarCraft, and Magic the Gathering, right? And so I think yes, that there's too. yeah, there, there's a lot to there's a lot to take from uh, how coverage was done in the past. There's a lot to take and learn from what Hiu is talking about with with coverage now. And then I'm really interested to see in the future as tabletop at some point we'll come back into the swing of things and and even the magic arena will become more live events with audiences and crowds where where coverage and the style of coverage goes from there 
Where, I, I do have a question for you, for you, Brasky, because you, you have a, a, a background in Hearthstone. Where do the coverage people sit in Hearthstone? Is, are, are they like in a separate room or a separate booth or... So it would depend on the event. If we if we were just uh, if they were doing something like uh, Tespa, which is the collegiate championships, or they were doing Grand Masters, uh, you have uh, the studio, which is in I believe Burbank, California, and so the commentators are in the studio in the in where they are, while the players are wherever they are around the world. So you at least have that dynamic of being in the same room with somebody that you can bounce energy off of. You can write notes back and forth to each other. You get that kind of energy. If it was a live in person event, something like a World Championship before COVID. Uh, then usually there would be a stage where the players would be playing and then there would be the main area where all the rest of the players would be playing and there would be one dais like little little desk area away from the rest of the action where the two commentators would be and they would have all the monitors in front of them because you know they don't need to actively be looking at what's going on so they're just going off of basically their own uh, sound booth and sound studio. It's a little bit different also because you don't have to worry about something like in a draft because the players who are playing all have headphones on and all oh, are being true. pumped white noise so they can't really hear what's going on there. And yeah, I guess they did that for the Mythic Invitational way like when they did it in real life, right? Everybody had headphones. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting to think about what's going to happen when we go back to to the Paper Magic. They, they think the technical issues such as people being able to hear what's being cast. I mean, those are solvable. Yeah. I, there's no real need for the commentators to be sat that close to the the action. They're not watching it live. They're watching a feed just as everybody else is watching a feed. They don't really even have to be in the same venue, although obviously for play interviews and such, it is better for them to be there. But there's no reason why they couldn't be in a different room. And I think even though the pacing will be different when we go back to live Magic, uh, I think, you know, the newer generation of players who have come to Magic through Arena, who really are interested in Paper Magic, and I know there's been some controversy recently about Paper Boomers and Arena Zoomers and the such, but as far as I can tell, you know, most people who have come to Magic in this time period or in the last year or so through the rise of Magic Arena do genuinely have an interest in Paper events and in person gatherings. But I think when that audience watches coverage of paper events, they're still going to expect that esports, you know, patina that you get on in mag in online coverage. So I don't think the style will necessarily have to, you know, snap back to what it was uh, a few years ago. And obviously, you're right. We do magic is has such a long storied history of coverage and great moments like that everyone knows like lightning helix or cruel ultimatum or any other time that gabriel nasif has been incredibly lucky i think um, i think something else to, to touch on as well is is for for the tens of listeners that that tune into the podcast a lot of folks uh, i know there's a lot of folks always like man i've always wanted to give coverage a try but there's always kind of the there's the things that nobody tells you, uh, or there's just those little those little ins and outs, stuff that you don't learn until you actually do it. And, and Sean, I kind of want to bounce this question off you. As someone who just recently started doing coverage for events with Sugoi, um, when you started jumping into coverage, I know you're, you're, you're like anybody when they first do a coverage, like you're, you're in your element, you're doing your thing, and then you're done. It's like, oh, was that good? What did I do? Okay, was, was, this, like, was this solid? Like you want, it, you want feedback and that kind of stuff. But in your first... Uh, a few times going around and doing coverage to where you are now. What were some of the things that that 
you learned in doing those first rounds of coverage and just kind of those little tiny tweaks of, oh, this is how this works or, oh, man, this feels a lot better when I do this. Yeah, one of the first things that really the, the first thing I really struggled with was not I, I would stop talking when the producer, whoever was producing for me would say something and like it's a natural habit of mine to stop talking because someone's talking to me. So like Brasky would whisper something in my ear and I'd like stop talking for a second because like that's what my brain tells me to do. But like that was really something that was hard for me to overcome. Um, one of the other things that I really found weird and difficult was trying not to run away with like your thoughts. So like how you made a good point of like you need to like know when to stop and when like when you're not like turn to speak is over, but like where you kind of like need to pass the buck to your partner. And it was just like, that was really tough for me. Cause like, I like to talk and like, <laughs> you know, I would get on a, a, a strange tangent about why, you know, neutralize is better than absorb and blue eye control for X, Y, and Z reasons or whatever. And then like, I would like be on that tangent for too long. And then it would just be like two minutes of passing how you should have been talking already or something like that. So that was something I really struggled with, but I uh, really enjoyed casting the last couple of times I've done it. So I have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, it's a great point that you make, especially if on the color commentary side of things. Yeah, everyone has a job, especially between play-by-play -play and color commentary. Color commentary, you're there to provide insight on the why a lot of times. Like, okay, this happened. I'm going to tell you why it happened or may, perhaps what the player was thinking or what they might do in the future. But it is important, just like you said, it's not necessarily the time to like see a play happen and go, and now I'm going to jump into my dissertation about land selection for your blue-white control deck and then just go off on that while the action is playing out. It might be interesting stuff. People might want to really know about the land selection of this type of deck. But while you're talking about that, two turns have gone by, several permanents have been removed from the board, and, and the action is completely different. That's kind of one of those things that you have to realize if you are a color commentator. And the other thing uh, is, you know, I, I'm someone who is definitely more on the play-by-play -play side of things. One, uh, because I just, I, I feel that I have a better tendency to lay out the action that's on the board state for the viewer, but also connect it and describe it for someone who's either a novice to the game or an expert to the game. The second part of that is that whoever I'm commentating with, chances are is much better at the game than I am, or at least much more knowledgeable of the game, or at least the format that I'm commentating. So you have to make sure as a play-by-play -play person, a lot of what you are doing is setting up the commentator to provide insight. And as such, you have to realize, and, and also accept that 90% of the time, you are going to be asking questions to your to your play-by-play -play person that you already know the answer to. For the you, you'll sit there, but what it does is that it gives the play-by-play -play person an in to kind of take the ball and and much as uh, Conan Hawk visually represented for this audio-only podcast, you serve up the ball and they smack it out of the park. That's uh, it's just some of those perspectives, and I think Hi, you you can also touch a little bit on about the roles of each of each uh, coverage person while they're doing commentary on a match. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you say is very true. Um, I also do mostly play-by-play. And I see my role as the representative of the audience in the booth. So I, I put myself in the, the shoes maybe of somebody who's sitting at home watching the broadcast. Maybe they know a lot about magic. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's the first time they've tuned in. Maybe it's their 7 millionth magic broadcast. But I imagine what they would think is happening and what they would maybe what some of their assumptions might be which i think is also a, always a great way to start a conversation and then put 
some of their thoughts or what they might think to the expert so that way it feels for the audience like they're the one having this conversation with this expert who's you know got all these brilliant insights and they feel like they're represented if that makes sense so if there's a to play for example um it's turn two and someone has a growth spiral and then they actually choose not to cast it where say 90 percent of players would just autopilot cast this growth spiral that's like a great point for me where i'm like i can ask my expert commentator and be like wow so you know a lot of people might have just gone for this growth spiral here but you know why why has our player not done that and then that's jumping point for them to wow us with their brilliance um and i think that's something that the both roles really need to focus on a lot is that you're trying to make each other look good and you're trying to give the audience something that they not necessarily that they weren't expecting but that is interesting to them I, I wonder as well, you know, we've all done different uh, amounts of coverage in different ways, and we all have different specialties, I think. We have di the four of us each have different things that we're good at when we do coverage. And so if there's one thing, you know, to kind of do like a, like a roundtable in that way, if there's one thing you would uh, say to somebody to think about if they want to get into coverage or if they maybe have just started doing coverage, um, what is a piece of advice or a tip that you have for them? Conan Hawk, I want to, maybe I'll start with you. I guess mine would just be because like I, I did a lot of like expert commentating and one of the things that I was always worried about was basically just like making a boneheaded play. I, I, I do that with like my streaming as well. We'll make a play and something will be wrong, right? I, I think it's just don't be afraid to let yourself like basically put yourself out there a little bit and just just, you know, say what you're going to say. And if you, you know, like, obviously you shouldn't, you shouldn't like just make bold claims or anything like that. But if, if like, you know, if it's your job to think of the play or think of like why somebody would do stuff or something like that, just, you know, don't be afraid of it. Just like say your reasoning, say what it is, say why you think they did it. And, you know, just kind of, just kind of go with it. And if, if you have like any doubts or anything like that, you can always ask your, you can always ask your play-by-play -play person during the breaks, right? Like, Hey, you know, like I've asked, I've asked people that before, just kind of like, am I still on it? Like, am I still doing it? Like, does, does it, does this, is this working, you know, type of thing. And if it's not, then they'll, you know, you can hash it out in the break and then come back. Yeah. I, I think as well, it also leaves you the out. If you're going to make that kind of uh, analysis or maybe make a bold prediction or, or say, oh, well this, they can do this and this and this, then you end up being completely wrong about it. Uh, or you end up just completely misplaying yourself. Like, oh, well next turn they can play this thing. And it's like, well, no, they only have a tap lane in their hand. And I can just be yeah. like, and you, what's, what do you say to that? You just go, and that's why they play the game and I commentate it. <laughs> the more <laughs> self-deprecating you can be that way, uh, the, the more endearing you can be to an audience, but also the more, the more the criticism can kind of bounce off as opposed to if you, if you think you are God's gift to magic the entire time, then when you do screw up, you don't, you don't have that kind of wiggle room with your audience in that same way. Yeah. I mean, we're all human, right? We're all going to make mistakes. Even the best magic players in the world, you know, like, like, you know, whoever you think the greatest person is, they've made a mistake. They've messed up somewhere. So yeah. it's, you know, it's fine. People mess up. Sean, what would be a piece of uh, a tip or a piece of advice you give to a, a, a prospective broadcaster out there? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if you're going to start broadcasting, just like, just like with any other game or, you know, whatever, just practice. I mean, there's so many great commentators out there. I mean, you have, 
in the magic world, we have, you know, we touched on a little bit Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips who like have great chemistry together. Like pick up, try to pick up some tips from them or like even watching other games while it doesn't directly translate to magic. I mean, I love the commentary in League of Legends. Even if you don't watch League of Legends, the commentary that they do in League of Legends is usually pretty reasonable and pretty good. So like just watching more commentary and practice, just, just like anything else you got to practice. So, I mean, ask for help and, you know, stuff like that, but always practice, always be learning, just like in everything else you want to get better at. That that is that is a legit thing. Like if you if you want to be on the speaking side, if you want to be in front of the camera, then work some time where you just record yourself talking about matches. Get a friend to do some commentary on on some matches. Just to, so you, the more practice you get, the more comfortable you feel in that element. And I'll even go even farther to say on the other side of things, if you are want to be a producer, if you want to run the streams, then you absolutely have to practice. I think it's one of the biggest pitfalls of any. Um, perspective person who wants to get into esports in that realm is that they they don't do enough preparation and they don't do enough practice so that by the time the uh, by the time that it, it but when it is showtime uh, you can be prepared for whatever curveballs are coming at you most times you you need to take the time to run through the progression of how the day's going to go in OBS for yourself so you can go from here to here to here so you can make predictions and look ahead into what is coming i think that's a big thing to think about as well Hi, what's a, a tip that you would give to someone who is is looking to get into broadcasting for magic first of all i just wanted to double triple back the practice point <laughs> because like I I practice casting every single week. I have a specific time frame set um, to do casting, you know, whether it's with a friend or by myself or whatever it is. Um, and I also have specific times where I watch other esports to figure out what other casters in other esports are doing as well. My tip would be it's hard it's hard because i have so many but um my one number one tip is if you're going to do a broadcast don't just go in um without having spoken to the person you're casting with talk to them before the broadcast even if it's five minutes even if it's you know 10 minutes long just before your call time just talk to them discuss what style of conversation you're going to have discuss whether you're going to do a lot of questions and answers or whether you're going to be you know try and riff off each other more obviously the more the better you know each other the easier it is but if you don't know each other or even if you do know each other it's very important to talk beforehand because even if it's your best friend in the world once you're on air it's a very different experience to just chatting with them normally um talk about how you're going to refer to players what names you're going to use what you think about the format what you think about the tournament if you already know what answers they're going to give you before you ask them it's going to make it a lot easier for you absolutely i think that's a a great point to just the more you develop a dynamic uh, with somebody when you are casting, uh, the better the program is. And in some situations, you might have to develop a dynamic with your co-caster uh, very quickly or even immediately. There's a lot of times where I'll jump into a, a casting booth and I'll be like, great, you're gonna be casting with this person today. Awesome. I get, that means I have about five minutes to establish with my co-commentator. Uh, how do you like to work? What do you, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? What, what can I, you know, what is your, I usually ask those things and then say, what's your biggest pet peeve and what's your biggest support? And that way it kind of, as someone who is the the play-by-play -play person, already I have these notes around so that I can sort of formulate how I'm going to uh, put out the commentary so that my co-caster is set up in the best position possible. That's a great point. 
I think if... I, oh. I just assumed that Brasky, no matter who they put you with, he would just, like, gel immediately. I, th I thought that was just, like, your superpower. You know, <laughs> there is there is something to that, though. It's, it's kind of the part about um, rhetoric, where you need to understand your audience. And your audience is more than just the people viewing the match. Your audience is also your producer. It is your co-commentator. And in that, you need to understand something from them. And if I'm... When I am working with somebody, the first thing that's on my mind is what is their goal? What do they want? And how can I make sure that they, that I can help them to their goal? And that is how I kind of shift my commentary as such. And, and that's kind of one of the points that, that I guess I would touch on of like pieces of advice that I would give. Cause I kind of, I'll cheat and I have two. Um, the first one is even if you are not a, a performer, even if you are not someone who you would say are, is a, an actor or someone who is usually uh, in the performative world as broadcasting kind of is and needs that skill set, as Eric points at himself, uh, the one thing I will point to it is, or that I would describe to it is study improv. Uh, improv is actually something, even if you don't actively do it, study the games and tactics and techniques that are behind improv, because the two biggest things you will learn from that is the idea of yes and which the idea of keeping a conversation going and the tactics and ways you can do that. And then the other side of it, it'll help you in your creativity of how to identify ways in which to explain what's going on. And by that, I mean, look at the cards that are played on the table. And when someone plays a card, that card either has a name or a verb associated from it. And that gives you a world of descriptive things to go off on, right? If someone plays Oracle of Moldiah, the idea, what do oracles do? Well, they see into the future. They can predict things. They can do that kind of stuff. So immediately jump off of that. You can go, great. And the Oracle's onto the board. And I think it, I can foresee that more lands are going to be played this turn. That's something you can do right there. If someone plays Approach of the Second Sun, so many things you can do with that approach. Something's getting closer. Sun, sun is hot. So you can say, and approach the second sun gets played, goes back in the deck. And I think the opponent can start feeling the heat. You can kind of do things like that, right? You start thinking to your head, the more you practice improv, the more that stuff comes quicklier to you. So that when you, if someone plays exquisite blood, you can talk about how amazing or exquisite something that happened was. So use that kind of wordplay and take the tools of improv and that will help you uh, in the broadcast world, just one, be more entertaining. It provides that energy, but it also is fun. And normally your co-commentator usually has a great time with it and can jump off with that energy as well. Uh, and the second tip that I will give, uh, you know, as kind of in the same vein of practice is uh, watch those who do it at the highest level and ask yourself, why are they at that level? And why are they as good as they are? Because that can go two ways. You can see why someone is really amazing and really good, or you can also look at it with the the other part of a critical eye, which is to say, I, I, I'm not agreeing with how they're doing things. And that maybe you can apply it to how you do stuff as well. Because that's certainly a big part of mine. Because I know a lot of what I have learned in the commentary side of things, even from whether it was Hearthstone, whether it was Legends of Runeterra, whether it was Magic the Gathering, uh, I certainly have the folks that I see as influences or people that I take a lot of influence from. And it's folks like a Marshall Sutcliffe who... I think is one of the best at being the most personable and welcoming voices to a game. Like I jump in and I can see Marshall doing something. I immediately one know what's going on Two, I feel like it's a tone and, uh, and an energy that I want to stick stick around and watch. And I love how he sets up his co-commentators. Does he get a little bit in the weeds with stuff that happened, you know, 
five, 10, 15 years ago in the magic world? Sure. I mean, everyone has the, the things that they stick with to do. And that might, that I might you know, be like, I don't remember that. I don't know what that is. But every other part of what he does and how he runs a broadcast uh, definitely is a huge influence on me and is stuff that I go, cool. I, I'm going to remember that and maybe add it to my toolbox as I jump into the broadcast booth as well. I was going to ask you how you feel about fairy bread. <laughs> about fairy bread? Yeah. Well, yeah. I know that, uh, oh man, there's so much you could do with fairy bread. Either it would be with the flying aspect of it or the smell of fresh baked bread. Uh, it depends on if there's food tokens on the battlefield or not. Like there, there's so <laughs> many things you could do with that, right? I just remember a broadcast where... Um... Riley. Yeah, Riley Knight. Riley was like talking about fairy bread, and I was just like, I have no clue what that even means. <laughs> I'm so lost. Riley's tangents are really out there. Sometimes. For, for those that don't know, He's what hilarious. fairy bread is is bread, butter, and sprinkles. That's like that, like hundreds and thousands. Huh? Is that? Oh, do you guys not call them that? <laughs> what are hundreds and thousands? What are those? <laughs> We're learning so much. Yeah. So in Britain, those. Like cake sprinkles, I guess the multicolor oh, little. Okay. Um, you know those little kind of stick-like. Yeah, yeah we, we call them rainbow sprinkles. sprinkles. Right, yeah. rainbow sprinkles. We call they're them hundreds, hundreds of thousands. thousands. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Well, now, so you, now I know. Well, there's the next part of your tip for broadcast. Uh, learn what area of the world you're broadcasting in, and get <laughs> some of the the lingo that plays as well. Because if someone threw hundreds of thousands at me, I would respond with hundreds of thousands of what. <laughs> <laughs> and i think uh you know i think that this is a a lot of really good commentary that i think a lot of folks can use but i also want to know uh folks out there who are are listening uh what is it something that you want to know about uh, broadcasting magic the gathering or uh what is an experience that you've had and uh something that you think that maybe we didn't touch on that you think would be important to learn as well and so we want to hear from you on that side of things so make sure to tweet at us at Swagoy Gaming, S-W-A-G-O-I Gaming, and let us know uh, about your broadcast experiences or anything else you want to learn about it as well, because we know that we will uh, keep an eye on that on our Twitter and answer any questions that you might have. And who knows, maybe we can bring some of those questions onto the next podcast as well. Uh, but that's going to be, that's going to do it for us for that topic. We're going to close the, close the book on that part of the broadcast. We're going to shut the cast down. But before we shut this podcast down, I always want to know what's the one thing you're going to be doing to get better at magic this week, whether that is playing magic or casting magic. So uh, as always, why don't you tell us what you're going to be up to uh, to get better at the game, but also let us know where we can find you doing that anywhere on the internet. So Conan Hawk, let's start with you. Yeah. Uh, so what I'll be doing this week is playing a lot of Historic. I need to narrow down my decks. Uh, so my goal for this week is to narrow down to the decks that I really, really want to test. And hopefully by mid next week, I'll have it down to one. That's 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 going to be my goal. And then I can like, to or like tune that deck for the metagame that I expect. Um, I know I've said it like a billion times and I feel like I'm I, I'm like humble bragging every time, but it's uh, I need to have my, my deck list done by the sixth uh for the mythic invitational so i have to i have to get that done and i have to get it narrowed down so that is what i'll be doing uh if you want to watch that process live you can watch it on twitch.tv slash conan hawk um or if you want to hear me yell and scream uh into the void you can follow me at conan hawk on twitter and uh i'll probably get some more pics of my cats uh to you know call me down on on my instagram on at conan hawk as well awesome mr Toolshed, how about you 
Yeah, yeah uh, this week I will be not really playing too much more constructed magic. I'll play some limited this week, I think, and then obviously I'm going to be brawling some more. i got to get my revenge on you here. Um, but uh, you can find me on twitch.tv slash MrToolShed and Twitter uh, at MrToolShed. Sorry, I was lost there for a second. Um, yeah, I'm not really going to play too much. Just got to be watching the ladder a little bit. I'm going to try to make top 1,200, and I'm right on the brink, so I'm going to be watching that and building millions of commander decks, apparently. Brawl decks. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be making sure to jump in as well to the, the brawling that will be happening, because it will certainly be... It'll be spicy when we get to that point. How, you, how about you? What are you going to be doing to get better at the game this week, and where can people find you doing it? Um, this week, I'm going to play a lot of Historic because I'm casting two big Historic tournaments on the weekend. And um, as we've been talking about, the Historic metagame is changing every day. People are bringing out new decks or new builds of older decks. Um, so I'm going to be learning as much as possible about the metagame of Historic uh, in preparation for the weekend. Because on Saturday, I'm going to be casting the CFE Pro Showdown that's going to be on the Channel Fireball channel on Twitch. Um, and on Sunday, uh, you and I are casting the Mythic Society Arena Community Cup. And that's going to be a Historic event as well. So I've got a big weekend of Historic events. And if people want to follow what I'm doing, they can um, find me on whatever Twitch channel I'm currently managed to get a, a coverage slot on. Um, or they can follow me on Twitter at Nifet, N-I-P-H-E-T-T-E. Wonderful. I as well will be jumping into Historic. I'm going to craft a few decks and start getting getting my hands dirty as I start playing some of those decks and uh, look things out. But also, uh, I'm going to be just kind of looking at all the the different magic uh, magic the gathering strategy websites places like cfb or star city games or anything else that kind of that i, I find around there and reading deck guides reading analysis getting insight from uh, professionals on their opinions on the format and uh, specifically uh, you know sideboard choices why certain choices be made one way or the other just getting anything in all the knowledge I can for the historic format so I can do the Arena Community Cup on Sunday. And of course, I won't be doing much of that on Twitch, but if you want to follow me on Twitch, you can do so at twitch.tv slash Brasky1142. And you can also find me at Brasky1142 on Twitter as well as we discuss uh, what's going to be coming up in the week of magic. And of course, you can find us at swagoy.com, S-W-A-G-O-I.com. Again, follow us on Twitter at Swagoy Gaming. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. You know, whether it's just a few uh, a few stars here and there or you want to write us a full review, uh, we would love to see it. And we always would value your input. And we value you listening to us now. And we will certainly value seeing you next week. Later, y'all. Bye. Thanks for having me on.